0: Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience, listen to and talk with your buyers, and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of Audience First. As always, I have a very special guest with me today. I have Yevgeny Haram on the call today. And I'm so glad I pronounced your last name right, but I cheated because I asked him how to pronounce it before the call.
1: You know, it's very funny. First of all, thank you. Thank you very much for being here. I like very, very happy to be here with you. I like what you guys are doing and it's very, very thank fun. You. And it's uh, interesting about your name because for very, very long time, I always struggle with this part. Like, oh my God, people cannot pronounce my name. What are you going to do about this? And then somebody told me like, dude, is are going to do it once, twice? Think about this. The moment they did it once, twice, you're going to remember it forever because it's such a hard name to pronounce. The first <laughs> name and the last name, you're like, okay, let's change perspective. It's good. Okay.
0: Yeah, exactly. Oh, you Like, if you listen to my latest episodes, I, like, just can't. Like, butchering last names right and left. I'm going to be known as the name butcher, seriously. It's it's horrible. So I so always ask because I, do, I don't want to be insensitive.
1: Yeah, when I do moderation or, or when I do stuff like that, I usually just say the first name because same as you. I'm afraid i got going to miss the or doing bad job on the last name. It's so like, hey, are you going to say the first name? People will understand who they are later on.
0: Right. Okay. We're going to get into uh, the conversation. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, Yevgeny, who are you? What do you do? And why the hell do you do it?
1: Oh, my God. Uh, usually, I say I'm a solution architect. But for the last uh, six months, a year, a lot of stuff changed. And I'm doing quite a lot. So I am a cybersecurity consultant and architect. I help companies with better solutioning, and we'll talk about this later. I basically consult how they can build a better cybersecurity program, how they choose better tools, how to adapt the tools to their needs. I consult to manage service providers and vendors and customers, like end users organization, but mainly VARs and MSSPs and vendors. I also have two podcasts, one called Security Architecture. You can see it on the logo. With Dimitri Reitman, and one by myself called Cyber Inspiration. One is very technical, one is completely less technical about the story. I am a dad. I have three little kids and one older stepdaughter. I like extreme sports. We'll talk about this later on as well from snow sports to water sports and biking sports, and and you name it. I have a lot of energy most of the time and I like to go forward and do stuff and kind of put myself outside of my comfort zone and then figure out how I got there and what I do with this about it.
0: I love it. I love it. And a lot of the guests that I meet seem to like to put themselves out of their comfort zones. This, this is why we get along because that's kind of my my motto, get out of your comfort zone. But why? like, What's your motivation for that?
1: So there's several interesting things. Like there's this expression that life begins on the edge of the comfort zone. And I think it's... Uh, very interesting idea to put yourself somewhere when you need to accomplish. I, I it's not man or woman. I think it's just the on your mindset. It's different. You, people used to say in the, in the past that man wants to go and do stuff. I think it's wrong right now. Everybody just want to do, I want to do stuff. But it's this idea to push yourself to learn something new and I also like to tell people that I think the idea right now, because the environment changed so much and changed so fast in general, not just us, that you need to learn to be comfortable where you're uncomfortable. And it's not something that you just flick a switch and you're there. Because every time you're going to get a situation, this is new. Okay. I maybe can snowboard or bike. Can I dance? No, I cannot dance. Okay. So that thing for me will be completely out of my comfort zone. and probably going to be very bad there. But it's something I want to do, I'm probably going to feel good if I went or if I accomplish this and learn this part. So the accomplishment, the learning, and the journey is very, very interesting. And I'm more switching myself to the idea of the journey because you can learn from the journey. You can learn from how you learn, how you accomplish. I
0: love it. I love it. Now, I imagine that within the journey you experience or you come across challenges or things that you don't like within this industry. So. As Yevgeny today, what is the one thing that you hate most about this industry?
1: The hype. You know, the hype about something that people are trying to do with, it could be the vendors buy this, the sexy, the latest, the youngest, the ML, the AI, the AI to the people that buying this. Oh my God, I'm not going to go and do the basic stuff, but I'm going to go buy to do something very, very sexy and creative. There was a nice, nice, very good article a couple of weeks ago, but again, it was published on LinkedIn, but it had been done many years ago about a Navy Admiral that he was saying that if you want to accomplish stuff, you want to make it back in the mornings and the right way when you up, you accomplish something right away. And it's a very, very simple task to do. And the industry, we're going from a simple tasks to something very sexy and creative, and we don't want to focus on the simple things. It could be asset management as a simple things. It could be know the procedures. It could be the onboarding of people. And there's a simple tasks that may be boring, but are very, very important. And the entire LinkedIn, if you log in or Reddit or all the things, we have a lot of cool articles about what we can do, and we'll spend time on the very boring stuff.
0: What? Why do you think that is, though? Let's kind of double click into that, and and what, in your opinion, is the the cause of that hype, and um, kind of misconception? Are there like what are the misconceptions that are are causing that hype? That I don't know. Maybe I'm phrasing this. Well, well why? Yeah, yeah.
1: If you talk and you think you spent quite a lot of time talking to very experienced CISOs for the last uh, almost a year, yep, they'll probably tell you that. The boring stuff, you know, the asset management, the procedures are the ones that actually very, very important in the beginning to build the basics. Right. And the industry, it's just more interesting when you go to Facebook, when you go to Instagram, when you go to TikTok, you don't see boring people. You see people that doing excitement stuff, they're putting fire in the air, or hula hoops, and a red bull racing. So people see this in the social media day by day. And they kind of take this, we have to be sexy. We have to do something crazy. We have to do something nobody did before to show this because they expect that people wanna see this as well. And uh, kind of like the idea of uh, when Exonius uh, presented their asset management solution two or three years ago in RSA, they say, oh my God, we are the Toyota Camry of cybersecurity industry. Like we're boring, but we get you there. And I'm not promoting anyone right now, but I think the idea was very, very correct. There's some time stuff we need to do. And it's back to what do you need? What are you trying to do? Not everything going to be related to you, like you're buying a car. If you need to take kids to soccer, or you're going to work camping, you're not going to buy a Ferrari. Like there's no point, even so it's so cool, you're going to buy a minivan or maybe a big SUV. But you just want to go racing and have uh no rides across, across the beach, you're probably gonna buy a Ferrari if you if you if you have this. Same here. We need to understand what you need in the industry. And this is kind of a big touching on the work I'm doing. Like, what is the need you need? Can you actually build a success criteria, a requirements criteria for your business before you buy, before you accomplish, before you go somewhere? Versus, mm-hmm. oh, you're gonna buy this because it's using the latest AI and ML because they're the pioneer on the environment because they built something new that nobody built before.
0: Mm-hmm. What, In your opinion, what are, and I wanted, I'm going to split this question into two, let's tackle it, um, from the practitioner side and from the vendor side, okay? Yeah. What, in your opinion, are some prescriptive steps that practitioners can take to be more methodical and smarter about the decisions they make so that they're not falling into that hype cycle, if you will?
1: So a couple of things. In majority of the cases, companies going to buying a solution because there's a need. This is, I hope so. They're not going because, oh my God, this is cool, poor, Mm -hmm. let's understand what it is. Uh, It's happened as well. But in majority of the cases, there's a need or there's an audit finding. Unfortunately, this is one of the motivations and vehicles for people buying stuff because somebody says they have to be compliant for XYZ, GLP, asset management, whatever it is, vulnerability management. But they found a the need. So they found the need in the company because of the reason. So this is the important part. They understand there is something to fix, something to accomplish. Before going and looking for vendors, they need to create a list of the requirements and the use cases for this particular solution. And this is step number two that's very, very important. Not just go and create what you want, understand and go talk to other Department. So let's say you're a network engineer, or network uh, operation person, and we can touch base on this, on this uh, topics and um, roles a bit later on. Go talk to endpoint security. Go talk to cloud guys, or talk to solution architecture. We mean maybe go talk to EA, enterprise architect, if you have one. that's someone that looks overall on the entire IT of the company trying to understand the entire vision of the company. It says, we want to buy, let's pick up on the vulnerability management. For example, we want to buy a vulnerability management solution because we have a need in our infrastructure. Anybody else need this? Why would they need this? It may delay the time you're going to buy and it may be going to become it more convoluted, but we want the communication between the groups. It's also important by the way. And then we, when we're creating the understanding and the requirements and the use cases, and we also ideally want to mark use cases between. Is this is really mandatory. Like we need this for sure, and this is kind of nice to have. Then you're going to the vendor, or you're going to your local our value-added reseller. The value, the, the V is very important here. <laughs> Not just somebody that want to push something because they have a very good partnership with the vendor. Mm-hmm. You may talking to industry analysts. Could be Gardner Forrester. There's a, many of them to get an idea what you need, and then they may recommend vendors, you may find vendors, and you start in the process of testing. Mm -hmm. In many cases right now, it's happening differently. People had some idea what they want. They found a cool vendor, cool because it, it was flashy with all the lights and Christmas, they tried to test them. It took them two, three, four, five, six weeks to figure out. They found new cases, so they're now not really sure what they're testing <laughs> because they found other stuff and other use cases. They're like, okay, we're going to test somebody else right now to check. And they're dragging this for four, five, six months. And when the management asked, hey, okay, so what are we going to buy and why? What were the recommendation?" They don't really know because mm-hmm. they don't only remember the last one. They're only going to remember what they did with the first one. Not mm-hmm. again, not everyone. A lot of mature companies, we have a scoring card. They will do each of them, they will figure out. Even going to start POCing, they do a mini RFI request for information. We'll send a questionnaire to the vendors, not RFP, not like humongous, humongous document, but it's like just give me understanding if you even comply. Could be even an email. Here's my 10 use cases requirements. Are you even there? Yeah. And then only start POCing the ones that match. Mm -hmm. This is the more mature, in my mind, way to do it. And in many cases, solution architecture could be engineering that will run this process because they mm-hmm. need to understand what everyone wants.
0: Mm, okay. We will, in just a few moments, uh, drill down into that. But from the vendor side, let's kind of flip it now. On on yes. the vendor side, what can, you know, the sales professionals, product professionals, market, just in general, as a whole, as a vendor, what can that organization do to help the practitioner not fall into that trap of the heist, hype cycle and also themselves, right? Because sometimes we get blinded by our, by our own bullshit.
1: Yes. So there's definitely a couple of things. First of all, as a vendor, you want to help with the use cases. Mm-hmm. The client may say on the end user, oh my God, you've got the use cases because it only one going to work for you. Probably true. But at least you helping to create them. At least if the customer doesn't knows what they want, you give them an idea and you guide them. This is the last customers that got our solution. This is what they were testing. This is what they did. You so just give them the idea, give them an Excel with use cases. So you're moving them forward. This now so you guiding them across across this path and you helping them. You're not just kind of trying to make quick. You want to make sure that they understand what they want, they buy what they want, and they're happy with this. Because right now, majority of the vendors are cloud SaaS. There are no boxes, so you don't pay upfront millions, you pay monthly, quarterly, annual fee. It means that you not just want to sell a big deal, leave the company to somebody else, you want to sell a deal and make sure the customer is happy. So you're not just pushing it across the pond. You actually want to have the customer success. So this point, Mm -hmm. so touching basically with the customer, understand what they want. Not even starting the POC before they know what they want. Because many vendors trying to start the POC as quick as possible, because it's going to be a good check they have a POC. But you want to make sure, hey, Mr. Customers, let's understand you have all the use cases. Here's the important part. Would you have a project management for this POC? I know you guys are very, very busy. I know that you probably need to put down fires. Who will be the person that will actually hunt you between you and potentially other departments to make sure we do all this in a timely manner? So this is very important from the vendor to guide us and run. It. Now we also want to make sure the customer has the budget because the customer just doing this and they don't understand how much it's going to cost and they're assuming it costs five dollars but in reality, it costs $50, there's going to be a big gap between the understanding. And this is bringing it back to what you and Dimitri is doing about uh, how you're dealing with vendors and CISOs and how you need to understand risk and how you understand uh, the return on investment. So the good, good vendors will not just help you on the technical part, but also help you with ROI on investment and the business case. Because a lot of technical people not always know how to build a good business case. And many uh, mature and enterprise customers will require you to write a business case. So, as a vendor, you can help this. You can offer the end user who is doing the work to actually help them to create this one and not just sell you to. Yes. Yeah. Right now, every time you're talking to a customer, they say, Oh my God, we're trying to understand, can we consolidate? But mm-hmm. Just try you sell you to. Try to understand how this tool will interconnect and connect to other tools back to solution architecture. We want everybody to talk to each other in one way or another. But also, as the customer, we want to help you to consolidate. If you're going to put our tool in, let's understand what we can take out. So SSE, Secure Service Edge, is maybe one of very, very good examples. Because if I put this in, I can remove, get uh, the web gateway. I can remove DLP. I can remove potentially Cosby So there's many different things that you can do when you're building the, the the business case on consolidation and ROI.
0: I love that. I love that. Okay, we're we're getting into a lot of really um great information here. I want to shift a little bit the conversation, um which would tie into what we just discussed. But let's put your uh, S- security solutions architect hat on, okay? Mm-hmm. The Evgeny of, I wouldn't say yesterday or yesteryear, but the, the Evgeny of, of past, um, you know, that's been working as a, as a uh, solutions architect. As a solutions architect, what is your bleeding neck challenge?
1: So let's define a different one. Because first of all, I was working for a while. So I spent mm-hmm. 15 years, if people probably know Robert Herjewald, yep. very, very cool guy in Shark Tank. The company merged a year ago in Outcoast. Hey, so hard, there's no more Orjavec and no more FISH, fish, fish tech. there's now sedaris. But I was working for var. so I was not working for an end user. I was working for one and leading the architecture department there. And my role was to work with customers, not just build for one customer. I will need to go from customer to customer and we'll have multiple things to do. One is on the pre-sale side to help them to choose the right solution and make sure it will integrate with SVC models. But in some cases. I'll stay with the customer or the team will stay with the customer and guide them on how to actually implement that and make sure it's working from here till there. Got gotcha. you. Um, so it's a bit different, you know, from just being on the customer side, because in the customer side, you're doing much more.
0: The one challenge though.
1: Oh, the one challenge. Sorry, I didn't answer, answer your question correctly. The one challenge was my personal challenge is if I need to help a customer and going to be seven vendors that will do very, very similar things, how do I choose the right one? Even so, they're very, very similar. And in some cases, it's probably going to be the biggest challenge because you know so many people in the industry and I know that you're in the industry right now. And then your friend comes, hey, you get getting me. Our blah, blah, blah is the best. And you're like, yeah, but I think the other solution is better for the customer. So how you tell a friend, sorry, dude, I cannot recommend what you guys do to a customer because I think somebody else will feel better. It was a quite a big challenge because people expect that you're always going to sell their stuff because they're buddies.
0: Yeah, I love that. And we talked about that uh, on Christopher Elliott's call, actually. He had a bad experience because one of his buddies kind of duped him with cost. So that was... Um... Yeah. Alright. So take me back to the day. We'll talk about like evaluating real. Right? Like take me back to the day when you first decided to evaluate. I don't know, let's let's plug in a, a product into that placeholder. Placeholder. Mm-hmm. Tell me what happened.
1: So I've always evaluated stuff for myself or for the customers, or with the customers. So mm-hmm. you want to understand like the process, what I did, or Yeah, or like just the
0: experience. What it like what what happened? Tell me tell me what happened.
1: So first of all, you Get that. okay we want to buy what endpoint security okay great so you understand okay what do you guys need you're trying to get information spoke about the use cases after you get this then you're going to all the vendors and say guys i need to understand more about what you do so you give them the rfi the some of the questions you know you pass the first part and then you look for demo like okay show me the solution show me how it's working And it's interesting because you and me spoke, I believe it, two weeks ago about the first call with the, with the vendor and what Mm -hmm. do you expect and what you don't expect and the vendor, I'll, I'll digress for a second and come back. And the vendor most of the time want to show you a demo. It's kind of funny because the engineer did a lot of work to create a demo because it was a demo environment. The salesperson did a lot of work to create a PowerPoint. And we have this expression in the industry, please be very careful. Don't tell anyone your baby is ugly so each of the person you're talking to has their own baby. So you jump on a call with the salesperson and the engineer. And in majority of the cases, one of the pros in the industry, the salesperson want to show you the PowerPoint that he spent building for the last three months. The engineer want to show the demo because he thinks it's phenomenal. And I don't disagree, but not a lot of time people ask, Hey, what do you want? Hey, what is the best way to spend this half an hour? And it's very interesting because we're coming a bit bit about the soft skills part. If the salesperson, the engineer going to ask the end user, or who they're talking to, what is the best way to spend this half an hour, 45 minutes with you, we can do demo, we can do PowerPoint, and we can just talk about the architecture. A lot of the time, the people on the other end will tell them exactly what they want. And if they don't know what they want, then why we on this call. Because people need to know what they want and why they want to buy or understand the solution, maybe not a very good qualified lead. And also people learn differently. People learn in a view, by touch, by different ways, and we need to respect this and help them understand how they want to do Mm this. Coming back to, to, to your question. So I'll, then I spend time to understand, actually look on the demo, ask questions, understand about architecture, understand about how they can understand about their security, how they actually build the solution, where it's going, who using this. And in some cases, went and tested some of the things, some myself, some people, the team, to build the view and my understanding. Then I created summaries for every solution, both that I tested and I looked. And we went back to the customer, presented them our findings, our recommendation. It was more about, here's what we wrote back to how you learn. You can read it, but let's talk about it as well. I also will give you my view, my summary, my impression of each solution. And based on this, we move forward to start testing with the customer as well.
0: What happened on the customer side um, that kind of triggered that first decision to evaluate? Like what, uh, like what, why didn't you do it sooner?
1: So there's a couple of things. One, the easiest one from them that's happening all the time, is the current solution is mm. need to be renewed, uh-huh. three years past, three years, five, whatever it is, usually around three years. Yeah. And now the management say, "Oh, we are not happy. Could be with what it does right now. We definitely don't like the price of the new solution, or we want to check maybe there's something better because we grew up, doing do new things. So this is usually the three things." You know, but it's happened a lot of the time with the cycle of we're going to renew you in six months and nine months, depending on you size of the company, and we want to check something else because of not, not happy with what we do, Oh uh, we have. Actually, interesting enough, in some cases, it's mind-blowing, but it's happening a lot. People buy new solution didn't even finish deploying the new solution. And they're already going to move to the new one because what they got promised didn't really work is expected. So they spent two years putting it in, and like, okay, three years is going to pass. We're going to need to renew it. We're not going to even finish deploying. We're going to rip it off and put something else. And sometimes what... it's happening and repeating every three, four years.
0: Right. Oh my gosh. That, that, that I imagine that could be a nightmare given yes. the, I mean, the very high level overview you just listed on how you're evaluating the new solutions. Um, but take me through what you did and thought about during the journey of finding and evaluating solutions. Let's take it back. You know, we discussed evaluating, going through RFI, uh, listing all the questions, but how did you stumble upon those solutions or, or products?
1: Uh, so there are multiple ways. So, first of all, Garner is a very good source to find solutions, Forrester is mm-hmm. a very good way, source to find solutions to what exists. They provide their own overview as well. You can decide if you like them or not like them, but at least you can get information from there. Right. So there's definitely internet. We have a lot of databases right now. You know, there's multiple friends in the industry that they have their own databases, I have my own small database, but there's just tenants. there's Mike's, there's one app company right now. There's many companies that have their own database. Mm-hmm. They basically say, hey, this is the solutions in this area, endpoint security, cloud security, for example. There's also a lot of people that uh, write uh, like summaries about, hey, here's all the cool solutions in the cloud industry or the endpoint industry. So usually by searching on internet, if you don't know all the solutions, you will find them. Besides this, in many cases, you know who they are. But I'll probably say the first step for majority of us is going to be Gardner Magic Quadrant, if it exists. It's just there. Everybody mm-hmm. knows about this. But mm-hmm. a good start. And you're going to at least find 10 solutions in the space if you don't know them. Yeah. Now, because you're in the industry, and I'm in the industry for the last almost 20 years, I probably know majority of the solution that exists in majority of the space. says, now, there is new spaces. For example, in security architecture, we're covering browser security, browser isolation. It's a brand new space. It didn't exist two years ago. Another island, Talon, Seraphic, uh, Surf didn't even exist. So if you asked me two years ago, I couldn't tell you because the space was not there. The same as uh, some of the cloud security spaces we have brand new, it didn't exist a couple of years ago. So there's going to be no gardener, you know, in the beginning, because just no Magic Quadrant about it. Same with ZTE, the um, Zero Trust Network Access. There was VPN, for example. There was some kind of guide, but there was no Magic Quadrant. So they took time to figure out and find them. So different, different ways. Oh, you will be surprised! But in some cases, you can just post on LinkedIn, guys. I'm looking for solutions in the area, and people from the network will respond, will help, and guide. With along the people that want to sell you as well, definitely.
0: Right, right, yeah. Um, you mentioned some new players in the market, some new, uh, some new, verticals in the market. Are there any other market anomalies, though, that uh, us as marketers, salespeople within the vendor space can learn from right now?
1: Anomalies, you mean like new, 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 new? Yeah, just market
0: this anomalies. Is... Anything market anomalies in security.
1: Can you define anomalies like new or people don't know about them?
0: New or something that we don't know about or something that you find a uh, peak of interest.
1: I yeah. Yeah. Browser security is definitely one of them. It's relatively new, and there's going to be a lot of changes in the space, in my mind, in the next 12 to 18 months. And by changes, mm-hmm. I mean going to be acquisitions by big companies buying the smaller one. Mm-hmm. The cloud security, the SPM, the data one, the CNAP, there's going to be a lot of mergers there as well. There's quite a big of shift, application security and AppSec. It's happening for the last year and a half, and it's going to continue to move. Because we want to Why secure... Uh, Because of Log4j, because of uh, many different attacks, and because people realize we want to have a more secure software we buy. And the only way to do it, it makes secure software from the beginning. So it means we're going all the way to the developer. When -hmm. they develop the software, it needs to be secure. So we want to push not just antivirus and firewalls to protect the regular uh, infrastructure of the customer or the user, but also the development part of it. So mm-hmm. if I'm a company that's doing a CRM software, mm-hmm. I need to protect my, basically, enterprise part of it. So this how you, so let's say if you work in this company, we have an antivirus, we have a firewall, we have your own filtering, we have many different things. But if you and me are developers, so we are part of something else, whatever you and me are developing, we want to be secure as well, because later on, somebody is going to use it. And we find vulnerabilities all the time in existing software. So if you can protect this software, it will be better. Also, this entire idea of shift left and cloud, stuff moves very, very fast. 10 years ago, you want to update on your Adobe. It will happen every six months or a year. Right now, people basically updating the software they have in a cloud could be once a day, could be several times a day. So it moves very very fast. It means when you're moving fast, you can also introduce problems very very
0: mm-hmm. fast as well. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, let's get to the fun part of the conversation. Not that this wasn't fun, but this is the the segment that I call the the shit list. Okay, this is where we talk about all the juicy stuff that happens in our industry between vendors and uh, and buyers. In your opinion, what are some cardinal rules that uh, marketers, salespeople, what's above, below, and in between are breaking these days?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I just did a conference, my first conference with Tony, Justin, Megan on a ski hill. Muzzles, big muzzles. Ta-da, ta-da, thank you. Yeah, it was quite interesting. We did a conference on a ski hill, we did a networking event, and uh, it was interesting to know that there is the marketing part that I'll Quickly talk about the marketing part the way I see it. We have lead generation, we have digital marketing, and we have event planning. And of course, they connect to each other. And I was talking to vendors a lot about sponsoring the event. Thank you to all the vendors that did this. I'm very, very grateful to what they did because it really, really helped everyone to make it happen. But along this line, I was not sure exactly to expect. And here, what I found, it kind of was harsh for me to understand as somebody that spent a lot of time in the pre-sales world. When you call a customer, you want to make sure the customer wants to buy, or at least interested in the solution. Now, from calling the customer to actually know the customer wants something, there's a very, very big trail or space. In majority of the cases, you're going to a show, you're going to a conference, you're going to a trade show, and you're going to a booth and you're talking to someone, and when you're going to a trade show, they know you're going there, so by the idea, if I just went to a trade show that everybody in the trade show can email me about the product, probably a bad idea, because I just went there. that does mean I want to buy every solution in the trade show. Now, if I went to talk to you, Boos, and I want to buy whatever I want to buy from you, let's say ice cream, and uh, I didn't like what you're selling, I didn't like the taste of the ice cream, for example, does it mean that Danny now can send me all the information about this amazing ice cream that Danny tried to sell, but again, doesn't want? Probably no. Now, if Danny asked me. Evgeny, how was the ice cream? Like, oh my God, this was amazing ice cream. I like vanilla. We have this brand in Toronto called Cavartaderia. Dairy. I loved it. But now, Danny has a qualified or hot lead to talk to Evgeny to sell them more ice cream. This is how I see it. Because whatever Danny got from Evgeny, Danny will not call them. The salesperson, the inside salesperson will call Evgeny, and if they got... 100 names or five names, but five names are the ones that were interested, in my mind, it's better. Was it just 100 calls? Yes, we have this idea of kind of spray and see who will reply. I'll send thousands of emails and one will reply or five or 10. It's working, but it's a bit different. So there's a big gap in my mind between I want to sponsor an event and I need to tell my management how many people are going to be there, how many people came to our booths. Towards how many people came to us, we spoke with them and they want an interesting in our solution. And it's a problem in my mind, because marketing needs one part, sales need other part, and people that are going to a conference don't want all this, you know. It doesn't mean they don't want to buy, it doesn't mean they're not gonna interested, but right. they don't want to go to a conference and this is by them being there or talking to you, they need to be get all these emails all the if I explain this correctly without going to too many details.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 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 What well what in your opinion would be the alternative?
1: The alternative is uh, the metrics should change a bit. Yes, I understand that people need to know how many people are gonna be in the conference. They're gonna be need a bit more focus on the people that work in the conference. Not just how many, so how many people you spoke with the conference, because just for you being in a conference and not trying to have an effort to talk to someone, that's also a problem to understand, okay, what did you do to be ready to talk to someone? What did you do to... Don't forget, they have a very short attention span. Like when you're coming to a booth, you have probably 90 seconds to convince me that I want to stay here, there longer. The alternative is to teach people to do better booth work to better connecting with people, we spoke about soft skills a bit, to get to the point that will be interested in and bring back leads of people that wanted to understand how mm-hmm. often do you go to a conference and somebody that was asked, again, can I follow up with information more? Yeah. Usually no, because we're coming back to the idea, if then you're going to ask me this and tell you, no, you don't want to add no, why would I get no? But no, it's a good answer. It's actually a perfect answer. Because why would you spend 100 times calling to someone they already don't want to buy this? Don't spend your cycles. Spend your cycles somewhere else. So there's something to be changed. And the sales department and the marketing department need to talk better on what is the sales expectation from this. What maybe some company says, I'm okay to have 100 calls because maybe I can win them. And some of say, no, I prefer to have less calls, but a bit warm calls. And also the sales should guide the marketing people, on not just the people, a bit more information, you know, what do you do? What is the problem you're trying to solve, for example, because it's going to build them tools to build the conversation on top of this when they call this person.
0: 100%. I love it. I love it. Um, we got to dig into that conversation, uh, on another episode. KPI numbers, uh, alternative uh, approaches. We actually are gonna dig into that uh, on on a podcast uh, coming up uh, in a, about a month or so, but um, would love to explore that with you as well. You, you,
1: maybe it's an idea you can do a panel, have a sales leader, marketing leader, yeah. and somebody else, and that's, everybody will.
0: That's a great idea. Um, definitely worth exploring, um, maybe even at an event. Um, but uh i i commend you for you know kicking off your first event and it's interesting i'm finding you know practitioners more and more just so creative and doing their own kind of marketing shows and and i just i think it's just fascinating i think it's fa- fascinating um if you could so, kind of like go but looking back you know retrospectively at the experience what would have you have done differently
1: I started to plan a bit earlier because something worked very last minute. So this is probably the only thing I will do before. And um, right now it's going to be easier to build another one. We, we want to do another one. There also talks about potential do a summer event like biking and, and cybersecurity. And just something I didn't tell and I was thinking about this, the entire idea of the conference was, and it's a way coming back to soft skills. If I bring people that like cybersecurity, because they're cybersecurity, and they like skiing, Automatically, we have a topic in common. We can talk about it. What do you ski? Are you snowboard? What's your favorite mountain? So we give people tools to become friends right away and find the common topics and common. So the same potential could be with summer. But for this particular event, I think time started a bit earlier. Oh, we were a bit struggling how to promote the event back to marketing. (laughs) So there Mm -hmm. was, we did a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. But probably yeah. we can do better and I don't have magic answer how to do it better, but definitely would love to know more people knew about an event because the people told, Oh, I didn't know what's happening. Like how I've been yeah. posting about this, like so much, so much, yeah. but there is a lot of lesson learned here. What can I do better to the, not just to convince people to come to the event, just for them to see the event, because if they see the event, they will know right away if they want to come or not.
0: Yep. I love it. Well, it looked like it was a great success. I saw those photographs. I would love to come next year if you're going to do it again. Uh, I haven't been snowboarding, what, since a since I was 16. So it's been a while.
1: <laughs> we had lessons. We had rent. So we had help people. There was brand new skiers there as well. So there was everybody, the levels in it.
0: I love it. Well, I mean, bravo to you again um let me know how it can help as always happy to, happy to help um you know for that next event uh and if it's in the summer maybe i'll maybe i'll uh maybe i'll come over it'll be a, it'll be a lot of fun all right we're heading to that end of the session um yovgeny if there's one thing that you would like to impart on the audience now's the time what would you like to say
1: so first of all, thank you very much for the audience. I know it's not easy to sh- choose between so many different shows to listen and watch, so grateful you're listening for the show. One part that I would like to ask the audience because I think people that are doing the creative work understand this and it's needed for them. If you're listening to any of the shows, this show different show doesn't matter which show, spend another minute comment, like, provide feedback, even if the bad feedback, you know. Tell that Danny, we don't like the purple screen behind you. Tell you again, we don't like the back screen. Whatever it is, provide feedback, even like nice feedback, be nice, be, but provide the feedback to us. You know, it's kind of good to understand if you're on the right path or not on the right
0: path. I love that. I appreciate that comment so much. Um, without fi- feedback, we can't get better. So thank you for, for saying that. Um, I will ask you, what, what could I have done better on this call?
1: I love the way you navigated the topics. It was very easy conversation, and this was good. So, I think we had a bit of a problem because we knew there's so much we want to cover. Yeah, but we yeah. covered a bit everything from 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 everything. So it was good, and I like the conversation. I like the idea of free flow. I think there's a lot of the scripted conversations that uh, conversation are hard to follow, and when you ask a question, that I don't have an answer for it. gets me, I need to think and I need to figure out what I need to tell on the spot. And I'm probably going to come up with the stuff that are actually dear to my heart and not something I was thinking about this for months to prepare for the show. So,
0: yeah, cool. I appreciate good... that. appreciate that so much. Evgeny, you're always welcome to the show. I know we are not going to be strangers. We're never strangers with our guests on Audience First. So thank you again for coming on. And uh, good luck with the uh, with the shows yourself. I know that you have two going on, two pods going on. So good luck with that. Thank you. All righty. This has been another episode of audience first. Thanks again. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of audience first. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to audience first on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.